This is the John Hastings Anything Can Be a Podcast podcast. Please welcome John Hastings. sounds so amazingly professional. It's going to sound like I was at the Apollo as opposed to six people in Paul's front rooms. Um, so thank you everyone uh, uh, for coming to the show. This is a very bizarre, weird experiment that I literally said half exhausted in Edinburgh, which is I wanted to keep doing this show, which is I did in Edinburgh, which was in an actual venue with lights. And Paul came and said, well, I have a, I have a house. Do you want to come do it at my house? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it at your house. Because I've lived in England long enough that I will just go to people's houses. That is the defining British thing, is you guys invite people into your homes. Yeah, while he's got it. Yeah, while he has it. Why, is there problems? <laughs> Wife not very pleased with the idea that you're hosting seven drunks on the show. Uh, for podcast purposes. Anyway, the purpose is this. This is something that very much defines English people, is that you guys are very nervous about everything, except for inviting people into your house. That will happen all the time. I once was marooned in just outside of Manchester, and one of the comedians, Ian Sterling, I literally met as he arrived, and I was rushing to try and find a bus to get back to London. And he said, why are you rushing? You can just come stay with me in Birmingham. And I didn't want to go to Birmingham. <laughs> And I was like, but we haven't met. And he's like, yeah, but you don't seem like you're crazy. <laughs> and it's, I'm shocked that you guys laugh because usually I tell that story to English people and they go, yeah, well, you don't seem like you're crazy. So, of course, we would invite you in. Well, in Canada, where we have actual winter, where you will die outside, if someone doesn't have a place to stay, we will just say, well, the hotel is down the street. Hope you have a good credit card. Um, it's Sunday when we're recording this. I'm uh, in where? What part of London Sitka. am I? Sitka. Sitka. We're, we're in Kent. We're not in London. We're in Kent. We're in Kent. London Borough. <laughs> we are in the London Borough of Sitcup in Kent. To answer your next question, I have no fucking idea where that is. We're somewhere south or east or west of London Bridge. Yeah, again, thank you. For two of those. Two of those. Two of those. Yeah. Southeast? Yeah. Come on, getting into this. Um, I spent my weekend, um, I'm bringing this up because we have uh, Ron and Emma from the ED Comedy at the Hob, and I spent my weekend at the Up the Creek. And I just wanted to, because you guys are club owners and have been in the comedy business for a long time, has that place always been mental? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's not yeah, just yeah. me. Like, I feel like there's something built no, into it, the it walls. Took, it took over from the Tunnel Club, which was Malcolm Hardy's first club, mm -hmm. which was insane. Uh, back in what? Oh, I don't know. Uh, early 80s. Uh, mid 80s. Uh, early yeah. to mid 80s. If you got hecklers, Malcolm would just piss on them. <laughs> okay, now let me clarify for people at home a couple of things. Uh, first thing, heckler, it's not like in North America or the rest of the world where heckler is like a curse word because you're not doing well. Hecklers in the UK, especially, not so much now, but there was a long time, even up to when I started coming here in 2011, where they were prepared and it was interesting. It was oh, a, yeah. like, it wasn't just like you suck, it was like a limerick about your mother that's both factually accurate and insulting. Or a Japanese haiku. That yeah, it was. <laughs> It's, it's spectacular, and you'll see. Sometimes see it at Lane Live in Edinburgh. I once saw. I did see this year. I saw someone slow clapped off, and it started with one person slowly clapping, and it built <laughs> to five hundred people. And you've never both enjoyed and been so sad about something in my just watch. And a guy was he was doing a headstand naked. Like it wasn't like he was telling jokes. Like there was preparation involved, and a firework was about to be lit while five hundred drunk Scotch. <laughs> 
Um, so up the creek. Yeah, shouting, seen it. Yeah, <laughs> been there, done that. Because um, your your club always feels very warm and welcoming and inviting. What what's the difference? Do you cultivate it in terms of audience members and stuff like that, or? Yeah, I mean, our our feeling always was that that we wanted the actor came down to be able to do their set, the stuff, oh, yeah, yeah. the stuff that they'd written, the stuff they prepared. Whereas when you go to a lot of other clubs, up the creek being one, the the tunnel certainly being one, uh, it was more about crowd control than mm. than doing your material. So people would go on there and they'd never get past actually dealing with the hecklers and and you know and, and that's tremendously entertaining to watch. But I like comedians and I like what they do. So we wanted a club where people could come down and do their stuff and not just have to deal with the, the, the front, the back row or whatever, you know. It's very true. It's just there's something about that, the vibe of this building. To describe, if everyone here been to Up the Creek, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's like a funhouse mirror of society. Like everyone in there <laughs> is just a bit too drunk, a bit too on drugs. Why are you like... Did you, it, there's something like... Are you actually a police officer, by the way? <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. Let's just skirt by the Up the Creek issue. Are you guys doing something about the amount of cocaine that's in London these days? I think I saw someone doing it on the train here, and they were either on their way to church or coming back from church. Like, I don't, I don't do drugs anymore. I'm 29 and realize those days are behind me because I need the morning to be good, not a, oh, what did I do last night? But am I crazy that it's, like, spiked in... I, that's, again, that's why I love London. Even a police officer, yeah, it's always going to be around. We'll do our best. That's you. you heard it here first on the Anything Can Be a Podcast pod. I'm not going to use your name, so you will not get in trouble. Yeah. Officer Sally Redgrave. Uh, of <laughs> The manliest lady cop in all of England. You've heard it here first. Cocaine's always been around. We'll get to it eventually. Um... So your police officer, were you before they had guns and then after guns were allowed? Uh, guns allowed? No, there's the, always been, there's no, always been this limited amount. Is that true? Because I always just pictured there was a day where they were like, hand in your guns, fellas, and you guys had to like undo them like Mill Gibson and lethal weapon <laughs> and ha like put it on your lieutenant's desk and be like, all right, I'll take the stick and the hat that pregnant ladies pee in if they have to be allowed to do that, which is a weird law. For, again, for those of you not, of those at home, listening, uh, there's supposedly a law, and I'm going to ask you about this in a second, that the, the bobbies in London have those big hats so that if a pregnant woman has to pee, they can take them off and she can pee in their hats. Yeah, you've heard that. That's not an official rule. Okay, good. Where were you three weeks ago when I was having a, like, a red wine-inspired argument with my girlfriend about that, saying that's ridiculous? She went, no, the British are oddly polite about stupid things. That would be a law for sure. And she's saying this as people are littering. I'm like, no, littering is not a law. They're not going to make a law about where a pregnant woman can pee. They'll just be like, pee everywhere. It already smells like pee. We're on the South Bank. And I was inspired because we saw a pregnant woman and a police officer, and I told her that, and then she... But why would a pregnant woman what difference does it make whether she's pregnant or not? Whether she has control? Because she controls. Oh, because she's down on the. Oh, yeah, I remember. When you have to go. I remember. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. Oh, yeah,
openly, loosely, obscenely. Like, what you're basically saying is if I'm peeing into that fountain that's never worked in Piccadilly Circus, bad (laughs) idea, but down an alley in Soho, people are going to look the other way. Depends on the circumstances. You get money for that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't I know that, Emma? Don't I know? How do you think I afford all these nice podcast equipment? You might get other things down there, but arrested isn't one of them. It's true. I do have to say this, the nicest, and by nicest I mean like the most polite, policey looking police people are London police. I've had a lot of interactions with cops in my day because I used to be like a lippy punk rocker growing up in Ottawa. We had this one cop who was our youth enforcement officer and he had a nickname that he gave himself which was The Package. (laughs) I'm dead serious. He was the weird... He gave himself. His name was either Tom O'Connor or like... Someone just broke in. Good thing we have a police officer here. Cameo. Yeah, his name was Tom Cameo, um, and he uh, and he in- introduced himself to the, the to us to people whenever you turned fourteen, because then you were in like the youth enforcement range, and he would be like, "My name is such and such, but they call me the package. Don't fuck with me, or I'll fuck with you." And it's only now I think that he was somehow controlling the weed that was coming into my neighborhood. <laughs> I'm gonna stop talking about. Yeah, it was weird, but yeah, he's still around supposedly. I just, right. but Canada, we, it's just a different. You get people like that. Who yeah, but I, do you really? All right, what's, who's the dumbest criminal you've ever dealt with? And then we'll move on to other things. But I know that all of your friends who have been friends with you and you being a policeman, they can't ask these questions because like it's awkward. It's his work. I'm never gonna see them again. I can't remember anecdotes. I'm hopeless. You're hopeless? Yeah. Well, that's, that's got to be hopeful, uh, horrible when you have to go to court to testify, brother. <laughs> to put your hand well, on the Bible. Down there. Yeah. So, Do you actually have, is that true? It's, it's written down in a report. Of course you do. <laughs> I'm such a... I literally thought just police officers just all had the... Be- yeah, just yeah, remembered everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm a comedian and you're the police officer. Because I'd try be trying to do that. Like uniforms walking around, helmet off my head, trying to find a pregnant woman to assist. There's a, a homicide. I'm not taking any notes. What's your name? What does it matter? Anyway, how'd she break in? Glass on the inside as opposed to the outside. Doesn't even make any sense. All right. <laughs> Very exciting. I walked into a bank, Your Honor. What's that again? Up in the witness box going, yeah, well, a guy walked into a bank. Mm. <laughs> yeah, two guys walked into a pub, you see, and one of them didn't like their mother-in-law. It was a homicide. Now, and we have someone who's off to family dinner and is getting drunk because their mother-in-law is there. I'm not using anyone's Don't names. <laughs> As you say that, you're literally pouring Stella into a glass. You're in Kent, brother. You can drink it from the tin. I've heard what they said about this part of the world. <laughs> no, Paul, Paul did insist that uh, while he had the house that I could drink out of a glass. <laughs> oh, you're really getting hammered by the people you invited into your house and gave booze to. Oh, no, he brought his own. Oh, he brought his own. Oh, then you can say what you like then. <laughs> well, this is, it's, this is all very strange. It's just, it was a weird weekend for my girlfriend. Has been sick. Everyone here is in, in relationships, Correct. It's always a weird thing when your girlfriend or your spouse is sick because you want to take care of them, but you don't want to fucking catch what they have. And we're in a new enough relationship where she's like, just come and snuggle with me and hold me. And all I want to do is cover myself in like plastic, like one of those Ebola cleaners. And then just be like, come on, baby, time for snuggles. And then she's like, give me a kiss. And then there's like, like coughing. Like, and like, like a, and I used to smoke a lot. So I know, and she's coughing like a smoker's cough. And then like, 
give me a smooch. It's like, I don't want to do any of it. I want to skip you through a pool of antiseptic and then take a shower and then shake your hand. So a lot of you guys have been in relationships. How do I deal with this situation? Let's go around the room. Let's start here. Oh. Even though she's far away. Yeah, I know, but she's got to reach. (laughs) So I need to man up and be honest with her or do I just have to just deal with it? just have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for not. <laughs> You're gonna Run get away for work. Pardon me? Run away for work. That's why I'm here. Do you notice how she's not invited? She's at home being sick while I'm here talking to you guys in a front room. But it's again, and may I say, describing to your girlfriend, what are you doing on Sunday afternoon? Oh, baby, you know that fake radio show I have on the internet? I'm going to go do it in a guy's house that I met one time. Why, why do I need to give you the address? It's going to be fine. <laughs> She's Canadian and she hasn't been here long enough to know that if it's going to get violent in England, they'll just stab you in the street. Like, it's Canada, we lure people into places. UK, you just fucking hit them in the park. Who gives a fuck? Like, the police will be there, obviously. Finest. London's finest. Is it London Police Department, the Met? The Metropolitan Police Service is the, what it's supposed to be called. It used to be called the Police Force. I fucking love police force. They got politically correct. Wait, whoa, whoa. What's incorrect about force? Force police. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. I don't want to be serviced by the police. I don't want to be forced to do anything by the police either. You want both. Yeah. But, like, it's, it's more that, like, I want it to be a police service when I get pulled over for speeding. And I want it to be a police force when someone steals my phone. Yeah. Like, I want doors kicked in. I want, like, yeah. all right. Like, I just want, basically, Ray Winston to be the Metropolitan <laughs> Police Service saying he's going to crush people's eyes. But, yeah, so that's, that's what I've been doing this weekend. And going to Up the Creek has been mental because, again, I don't do drugs anymore. I'm very reasonable in terms of partying. And then you walk into this funhouse room. And it was the most bizarre thing, which I'm walking in, and so you cross from the station, and you're walking over, and I understand there's a police officer here, but let's just pretend. No, that's okay. Uh, and let's just say there was a woman, group of women who were on a stag do, and literally one of them dropped a Pablo Escobar amount of white powder on the ground, and then just started like rubbing it with their hands and rubbing it in their mouths. In front of people at 8 p.m. on a Saturday in Nystra. It was disgusting because it's just like drugs, whatever. That's a London street and you're putting what is on it in your mouth. It was horrifying. And then I'm trying to get that image out of my mind as I'm going upstairs. I'm like writing out my notes to host a show. You go on, on a club, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. People are like, okay. And then I walk and I couldn't get the image out of my head. And then I started talking about it. And then I realized the woman was in the front row. And she was proud. Like, she was happy that I was talking about her. And she put up her hand and was like, it was a really good idea. I'm like, miss, you're just admitting you just did cocaine of the street in front of 200 people. And she went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she just walked out of the club and left her friends there. So it was a bizarre evening. Again, it's been transit in London uh, throughout a weekend. So I'm, I'm filled with angst and anger because they just closed trains. They, I was on the DLR, and the DLR was fine, then I went to get on the London Overground, and because it was midnight on a Saturday, therefore Sunday, what happens to the Overground? It closed for no goddamn reason. And so I got back to my girlfriend's one in the morning, she was sick, and said, come lie with me, and lay next to her, and I, I started to feel those pangs of sickness, and I'm literally willing myself not to feel ill right now, 
And uh, now we're going to go and meet some of the other people that are here. Paul is just looking at me with this nervous smile. Like, I'm going to get him sick. With sickness. Yeah. Listen, I have a very strong immune system. I ate a lot of kale before I came here. I do have a cough about to come on, but that's because I think some of the Diet Coke went down the wrong path. And I'm a little bit nervous. I haven't been able to get a laugh in the last 10 seconds. <laughs> See, right there. One back, cough subsided. Now. What about your immune system? It's our immune system. I understand you have small children, and they have a club <laughs> sold out show tonight at ED Comedy. Correct? We do, we do. Yeah. It's very exciting. Uh, do you want to plug any of the, your website and stuff like that? Hey, Ron, who's on? Yeah, who's on? <laughs> who's on at the hub tonight, Ron? Or some more shameless self-promotion. Excellent. Yeah, um, yeah tonight we got Daniel Kitson down, and he's oh, he's, uh, he's hosting the gig. So he's got with him tonight Johnny Vegas oh, is down, him. which is excellent. Have you read it? <laughs> uh, who else we got? Tim Keane. Tim Key. Tim, Key. Uh, Tim Key's an actor. Your ride's here, by the way. <coughs> he's, an, uh, he's an actor and comedian who did, uh, Dan wrote, Daniel Kitson wrote a play that he did in Manchester Royal Exchange mm. called Tree, which we went to see, which had two characters. One was Tim Key, he was on the ground, and Daniel Kitson spent the entire play in the tree. Uh, were they was, actually playing Dan and Tim? Or no, 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 two characters. Daniel okay. written, it was a proper play, but it, it was absolutely hysterically funny and really, really good. So, so Tim's down tonight as well. And John Robbins, who's fabulous. So uh, John Robbins is fabulous. Yeah. I had one of the weirdest car journeys ever with John Robbins. But with John Robbins and I, our friendship started off very rocky, which is the first three times I gigged with him, he literally just came fresh from being broken up with by a girl. So the first time, he was like, that's very sad, and I consoled him. The second time, he was kind of like, that's a little weird. And then the third time... A pattern developed, and I think he started to resent my existence <laughs> because I was ending his relationships. And so that third time, we were driving to Coventry, and I, I, John is a lovely guy, and he's going through a breakup, which is always hard. I find guys, we go through breakups, like girls stereotypically, you go through breakups, and what happens? You cry a lot, there's wine, you say he's a dick, yep. your friends say, you can do better than him, have yep. you thought about Nedge? which is the British name I just made up, which is a combination of Nigel and then the needless shortening of a name. <laughs> the most awkward way to say it in the British tradition of somehow shortening Steve to st. <laughs> um, and so that's, but like, guy breakups, there's this weird sort of thing of like, you're supposed to be fine right away and have already slept with like 11 women. Like, you, like on your way out of the house, breaking, like breaking up with a girl, you're like, oh, I already met eight new girls. And I have a new venereal disease called HPV AIDS. Like, you're supposed to have recovered that quickly. And so we're driving to Coventry, and he's 12 hours out of this relationship. And he just puts on the Cranberries Zombie, which is not a positive song, <laughs> and blasts it for the two-hour drive. And I keep, like, sort of trying to engage him in conversation. And I'm like, how are you doing? He's going, I'm really enjoying this song, actually. And then we crank it louder and louder. And then we, get, we got out of the car. We walk into the gig. We have this like amazing, lovely chat about everything. It's this great time. He offers me a bunch of promoters' names and to help me get work. We get back in his car, and I'm like, okay, I've made a new friend. And then just as we're about to pull away, he like stops, and I'm like, oh, did you forget your wallet? And he went, no, no. And then puts the song back on <laughs> and cranks it, and we drive back to London in silence. And this year at Edinburgh, I asked him about that, and he went, well, it's my favorite song. And I was trying to get, like, the bad energy that you put on me from ending all my relationships. <laughs> and I completely understood that because there's this moment as a heartbroken man where you will believe anything. Like, if you're recently broken up with, and, like, a Jehovah's Witness and, like, a 9-11 conspiracy theorist both come up to you and, like, you need to believe in this book and in this theory. You're like, I agree, right? Is there someone there who will hold me and not make fun of me for crying? Let's go. <laughs> 
So yeah, that's a very good lineup. Tim Key, very nice man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's the one side of comedy that, I've, that I, I'm fascinated by is the, the time you guys spend in cars. Oh, <laughs> traveling. There's a whole there's a whole series to be made about that about comedians getting two gigs and getting home from gigs because it's usually the open spot who does the driving or something. You know, it's, it's, they get the they get they, they get the gig for. Um, or what's Jeff's company called? Or whatever, you know? Birth control. Birth control or whatever. You know, right, you've got a gig. You've got 10 minutes down in Bournemouth. Yeah. But you have to spend two hours driving around London picking up the other three comedians. <laughs> it's, it's really, I think it's actually a lost art because in Canada where I started, it was, there was no trains, there's no planes, you're driving everywhere. And so you're in the car with guys that have done this for 15, 20 years who have stories to tell. Well, here everyone sort of takes a train and you get little glimpses, but... I'm so happy I was stuck in a car with some of the most bitter people. Because <laughs> you, English people, UK people, you think you know bitterness, but you have hope and achievement on the <laughs> We don't have that in Canada. We have go to America or England, don't yell, don't talk too loudly, you'll wake someone else up. It's 5 p.m. on a Wednesday, it's almost bedtime. <laughs> like, it's. it's yeah. Yes, yeah. confirmed yeah. by the Metropolitan yeah. Police yeah. Service. Nine o'clock, everything closes down. It's it? it's not it's now changed to nine o'clock. Everything closes everywhere except in like what we call downtown and what you guys call like the city center, and that's yeah. for like hipster people. But yeah. then what well, happens? Half nine. Yeah, it's like nine forty-five. Yeah. But what's really weird now is all those hipster people are becoming like thirty-five-year-old sort of yuppies and basically middle-class people, and they buy condos and houses in those areas and immediately demand all of the fun <laughs> shut down yeah. that they were enjoying like six months ago and the reason why they moved into that area was like no you liked that Thai restaurant that was also a bowling alley <laughs> that also had karaoke that you did outside but now that you own the property you're like uh, guys we have a pug now so I think you need to <laughs> and it just really bothers me because I am very much locked in, an, in a like, for, like I will be forever 24 and just trying to figure it out I think mm. thank you and uh, <laughs> my father's giving me that same tone of voice by the way hmm, are you really <laughs> Didn't notice that telling jokes for a living, going to people's houses and making them participate in your fake radio show. That's right. It's a little thing called a career. This is a very shitty corporation you're a part of today, everybody. Um, but yeah, the Canada is very much like that, and the comedians there, oh my, are just because the imagine Jim Carrey. So the Jim Carrey was an open spot, which is someone who performs for free, and he was the worst open spot in the country, but an amazing impressionist who just went to LA on vacation and got television show after television show. So imagine you're a killer comedian, and your opener <laughs> comes back after six months of being in L.A. and goes, I'm going to be Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> and you say, no, you're not. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> and he goes, yes, I will. Fuck you. And then he does. And helps none of those guys out except for the one guy who was nice to him. And all of those guys are still in Canada just being like, Fucking Jim Carrey. <laughs> I'm going to be nice to everyone else except for this one guy, Norm MacDonald, who's a real weirdo. I do not want to be friends with Norm MacDonald at all. Norm MacDonald goes to New York, becomes the face of Saturday Night Live in the 90s. <clears throat> and then they're like, oh, God damn it. All right. We're being nice to everyone from now on, except for that Tom Green kid needs to stop like, ripping raccoons apart and yelling at people. He's disrupting the show. I'm going to call him a dick. Motherfucker, he just married Drew Barrymore. <laughs> okay, from now on, I'm being nice to everyone, 
Except for this kid I saw singing on the street in Stratford, Ontario. I think his name was Justin Bieber. <laughs> he was singing off key. I don't like him. Fuck you. What do you mean he just sold out the O2 for a year? All right, I'm going to start drinking mouthwash in the morning and sleeping in a leather jacket. Like, like, you know the people that are smoking in their 50s and they're not just, they just haven't embraced the fact they're like, you know what, I smoke. It's what I do. They're those guys that are like smoking because they still think they're going to get a Camaro and lean on the hood of it. Like, those those are very much the Canadian comic milieu. And I was so grateful I got to be in cars with them because you immediately realize what you need to do, which is write a lot of jokes, stay really positive, and get the fuck away <laughs> from these people. Because there'll be, there's some guys in Canada, like, there's a guy who literally will advertise himself as Jim Carrey's best friend. And that's how he bills himself. It's not his name. I've done gigs with him. And, he'd be, and, he, and he'll play it off like he didn't tell the promoter to do this until I opened the trunk of his car and I found like a, a printer and this like battery-powered power bar and he was printing off the show flyers himself to give to the venues. And it says, Jim Carrey's best friend, such a da 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 with... Um, and with local support from John Hastings, I wasn't from none of the towns we played. Um, but then you get these amazing stories. Like I was um, once in a car with this comedian named Kenny Robinson, who looks like a child's drawing of a pimp. He is a 300-pound black guy. I once saw, we went to go have like lunch in an afternoon, and he showed up in a black satin suit with a like a nice... Necker, or not neckerchief, what's the thing that goes in the pocket here? Handkerchief. Like handkerchief, pardon me, handkerchief that matched his tie, his socks, and his shoes matched the shirt he was He looked fucking amazing for us to sit in this Irish pub in December. And I, and I literally said, Kenny, why are you dressed like that? And he goes, you gotta show it off for the ladies. And then did a little spin, and the waitress went, nice. And his stories are, were amazing, because he started comedy in North America during the comedy boom, which the UK just sort of came out of. But the comedy boom in the US was even crazier, because it was in the 80s, when cocaine and double-breasted suits were allowed. So, like, his stories were mental. Like, he met um, Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy. And he literally dropped it in conversation like this. I was asking about Jim Carrey, because he's one of those guys that worked with Jim Carrey, and I said, what was I working with him? He goes, he wasn't very funny, but you knew he was going to be a star, because he actually had a plan, while the rest of us just wanted to go to the bar. And I kind of, like, acknowledged that, so I tried to be nice to him. But it was just sort of weird, a lot of people bit him, and he goes, but the person that I knew was going to be famous was this kid, Eddie. And I'm an idiot. So I was just like, oh, but Eddie didn't become successful, right? And he was like, no, it's Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what happened? He goes, well, Eddie was opening a club in Chicago where Kenny was living at the time, and everyone in that time was in suits, and Eddie Murphy came, he was 18 years old, came in the leather jumpsuit he would later wear in oh, the, 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 the red one? Yeah, he had five of them. He had a black one, an orange one, a red one, and a purple one that he had from before he was famous. And his point was, if you look different in some way, you're going to stand out. And Kenny was just like, that It was the most brilliant point. And he goes, and you could tell because he would walk on stage and everyone would look at him like, is this a joke? And he never addressed it and he was so cool that you were just like, this guy's wearing a one-piece leather suit and in no way is he a loser. That is impossible. <laughs> like Elvis Presley, who he stole the idea off of, looks good in the comeback special on NBC when he's in front of the, the word Elvis dancing and singing. But then when he goes to Hawaii and he's wearing the white one and he's got a bit of a gut, he looks like all of our dads when they try out like the Ed Hardy t-shirt at the mall. Like, son, check this out. And you're like, 
no, Dad, you're 74 years old, and I can see, like, the bottom of your stomach out beneath the skull <laughs> t-shirt. And like, you're right. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just very, very bizarre. Because you... I always... This is the thing I always wonder about club owners. Do you guys talk to each other? Uh, yeah. Uh, not you two. You're not married. married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never. No, no. Oh, no. Just discuss lineups. Are we booking him? Hell no. All right. You rarely see them. That, 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 that's the trouble. I mean, we go to the comedy store, so we see Don mm. there. And we, I'll talk to Don. Emma talk to Don. You know, uh, we see some of the other club owners. that, you, we're but, but we're all working at the same time. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's only sort of at uh, oh, f- various sort of functions... Yeah, right. Edinburgh is great because we're all up there, so that's that, that's the reason we go. Um, I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna because the comedians maybe just me, but I'm gonna say comedians so I don't sound like a lunatic. Up until maybe six months ago, I was convinced you guys were all like conference calling and and discussing who was good, who wasn't good. Yeah, I know, uh, but. And then I also remember where I met Emma, and I can't believe I haven't talked about this on the podcast. Do you remember that Martin Bessemerin? comedian debate we went yes, to yes. let me talk about it. you guys think what we're engaged in right now is mental um so i'm three months in the country my live booker suggests i go to what was called a symposium on the english comedy circuit here's the thing with people that don't have real jobs like comedians is that they love to discuss the state of their industry even though we're talking about our dicks and basements our industry is doing very well because someone is paying for us to go like yesterday i farted right guys and then everyone goes <laughs> and, yeah exactly <laughs> what's the deal with gassers bros and everyone, good point like that's so comedians do love to gab and then this one guy um I'm going to say his name, and then maybe I'll check it out and edit it later. Uh, and Martin Messerman, who runs a comedy club called Monkey Business, was convinced that free shows were eradicating his business model. And he held a symposium at his club on like a Monday evening. Yeah, Monday or Tuesday, yeah. yeah. And it was, the, it was literally like being in a kangaroo court, because there was like Peter from the King's Head, who is like the most like raconteur man you've ever met, like his... All of his family are jazz professionals, and he was one time arrested for smuggling documents for the KGB in his drum. <laughs> and his wife was in prison in Singapore and then got released, and I keep asking him, how did that happen? And he just goes, oh, you know, teeth, and walks away. <laughs> and so he's, just, and he's the one who's, he's the, the, they're going by like, Queenston rules of discussion. And we're literally in this grubby pub by Mornington Crescent Station. It smells vaguely of salt and vinegar crisps. Bob Slayer and Hills Jago from Amuse Moose are hammered on red wine. I'm confused about what's going on. And then they all start just yelling about each other about free comedy. And I was just there being like, maybe I can get a business card to get some bookings. And I was in one of those moments where I'm like, maybe I'll quit smoking. And about five seconds into this, I went, no, I will continue to smoke for the rest of my life because it will not affect my brain. And then I went outside and I met Emma. We both had this, I just remember we both had this look of like, you know, we could have been at home right now by a warm fire chatting to loved ones as opposed to someone going, the problem with comedy is that someone else is doing it for free down the road where you just be like, we'll just advertise a little bit more than they do because they obviously don't have the budget you do because you are making money. And then that was actually proposed. And then there was just yelling. And then I just remember like going to a gig. Yeah, I took a cab to a gig because I thought it was going to be late. And I just, I think I was drunk. Yeah, I was drunk because I got into a cab. <laughs> That's my tell. I don't know what you guys have a tell for being drunk. But I know, like, if I'm sober, 
where, where do you need to get to? I'll take the bus. It doesn't matter. Like four pints. It's like, where are we going? Down the street. We better call two minicabs because I, I'm going to get winded. I want to have a place to put my bag that's not with me. No reason at all. But just that sort of stuff. Yeah, very bizarre sort of moments. I just The, the world of show business, is, this is one of the more normal things I've ever done. Is this gig in the last sort of year here at a man's house. I think... I think it's. I think I have to tell the story of the only other time I performed in someone's house. It was uh, I got hired. So I did a show in Oakville, Ontario, with three other comedians. There was a woman in the front row who hated my guts, and she said, uh, uh, like she booed me by herself while everyone else laughed. And then uh, the that next day on the Saturday, I got a call from my agent in Canada, Tony. He said, Hey, I just booked you a private corporate tomorrow to perform for a girl's birthday party. She saw you at the show last night. And she loved you. <laughs> you guys know where this is going. Uh, I did not think so quickly. And I was, uh, so I, I was like, great. And the money was like, it was, it's one of those things where I was, I think, I was 24 at the time. Uh, my rent was 200. What was that? That was my wife. You have to go? You're missing out on the story. Let me just tell you. I'm taking this with you. Yeah, I would take it with you. What are you going to say, like, uh, what are you going to say to your wife when you just show up with the pint to take to the car? Sunday in England, everybody. People are literally drinking and driving. All right, one audience member has left, but that's fine. We'll keep going with the story, and then uh, we'll do announcements, and then it'll be almost time to wrap up the show, and we'll go back outside, and we'll talk about... Here, by the way, is the only trampoline I've ever seen without the protective fence. How would it be? Like, oh. Yeah, that's insane. And with a police officer here. Yeah. They disintegrate, don't they? Those protective faces. Yeah, yeah mine disintegrated. My more problem with... Well, my children. Full sense of security. Gives you a full sense of security. My more problem with the protective fence is it's made of metal, and so you bounce into it and hurt yourself, yeah. as opposed to that where you would just land on your feet on the lawn. It's nothing without a bit of danger, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, toughen up your children, Paul. Anyway. Yeah. Health and safety combat. Yeah. yeah. And although that being said, you depending on the careening of the object, you may say send your child into that fence. But I'm not going to get into the logistics or over of the fence. or over the fence. Is that what you're trying to aim for? Is just get him in into that weird. Do you get, did you guys ever get the trampoline basketball game that was briefly on television? Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that? That was mental, and yet the funnest game. Have yeah. you? If you, I think you may have a league of it here, but it's literally it's basketball, which is. A very fun game that you guys haven't embraced yet, but let me tell you, it's awesome because it's running. At... Yeah, but if everyone's short, it's just throwing. And if anyone's good at throwing, it's the British. You guys will throw anything at anything. What's that, a pasty? Let's go throw it at that woman. Like. What? <laughs> netball, it's the same thing, isn't it? No, it's not. What, <laughs> what is netball? And we'll go, we'll, I'll finish the story, but what is netball? Netball is like non-contact basketball for women. Mixed leagues as well. Mixed leagues, but then it gets... So then it's just basketball. You can't run with the ball, you've got to stand oh, in it. You're not allowed to run with the ball, or oh, if oh, you no, dribble. You dribble. Yeah, yeah, but you can't netball, you have to stand in it. This just goes to my other theory of you guys love to mess the names up of things. Why don't you just call it British basketball as opposed to netball? And the netball same. Ball goes in the net. Yeah, but that's what happens with basketball too. I would imagine that basketball is based on netball. Uh, most things yeah. originate in this country. Oh, <laughs> au contraire, my friend. Thank God it's basketball because it's the only sport I actually know how it was invented. 
because it was invented by a Canadian guy in a Bullshit. university. In, it's true. <laughs> we invented two things, Superman and basketball, and every Canadian knows it because as you leave, they go, you tell the rest of the fucking world. I didn't even know Jim Carrey was Canadian. Oh, How yeah. dare you? <laughs> yeah, Jim Carrey's, Jim Carrey's Canadian. Bill so, Murray. Bill, Bill Murray is not Canadian. Not? Dan Aykroyd is Canadian. I always thought Bill Murray was Canadian. Phil Nickel is Phil Canadian. Canadian. One of the greatest Canadians. Uh, Celine Dion Canadian. The, the tele... Yeah, listen. We, you uh, First of all, English people, you can't criticize our celebrities. Have you... Well, what the... F I can't, you can't criticize... Well, like, they gave us Tom Jones and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Like, they gave us a man who could sing and a woman who's delightful to look at and also insane. And also said nothing when her husband said her vagina gave me mouth cancer. Which still astounds me two years on. Like, my girlfriend says you undercooked the, ch the tikka masala. I'm like, that's because of you. But if she was like, you gave me face cancer, I would never stop criticizing that state. Anyway. <laughs> uh, basketball was invented by a Canadian. He was a, um, um, like he was a, sports medicine doctor person at a university somewhere in Illinois and they were developing a game to strengthen the shoulders which was the throwing and dribbling of a ball and they kept uh, having you throw them into peach baskets but they couldn't figure out why the game was so slow because they literally had to get a guy to go stand and take the ball out of the peach basket which is how you know it was a Canadian invention <laughs> that it took an American to go put a hole in that and we went what? no because you can't use it for peaches anymore and, <laughs> and they went the game will be faster and they're like okay and then we did and then basketball was formed telephone also invented by a Canadian person even though technically he was a Scottish born person so the Scots claim they invented the phone but they fucking didn't it was invented in Canada I swear to you can go to the house and you can go to the room where supposedly the first phone is but it's not because it has the date when it was created which is 1962 stenciled on the side of the receiver it's like one of those things that's on every internet thing of go to this museum and they're like the first phone Created in 1962. Anyway, so I am uh, booked for this gig on a Sunday. It's in this very opulent, rich area. Sort of like, uh, like how like Kent is the suburb of London. This is for a suburb of uh, Toronto. But you, what's a rich suburb of London? I don't know if they're... Kensington. Kensington. Yeah, Hampstead. Hampstead, yes. It's very similar to sort of Hampstead where it's sort of you kind of draw... Because Hampstead has that weird sort of reveal, which is very rare. Because usually in the UK, you guys just put like... Like, beautiful, nice neighborhood, man doing heroin, m man selling ponchos and guns, a woman made of tiaras. Like, there's no, yeah. Yeah, Camden, yeah. Which, by the way, let me just say, Camden is absolutely ruined by the fact that there's three costas that you can see from where you're standing. And it makes me feel very old, because I moved to London when Camden wasn't cool anymore, and it's getting less cool. Like, it's just, where is a man supposed to buy a flask with the lead singer from Motorhead's face on it anymore? If Camden goes out of business, what, am I going to go to Shoreditch with the 14-year-olds? I don't think so. I don't do ecstasy anymore. Now... So I'm, I'm booked for this gig, and it's sort of in that sort of rich neighborhood in this area called the Bridal Path, and it's where the the guys from Rush all have houses there. Well, they're Canadian. They are Canadian. <laughs> and God damn it, we're proud of them. I met Getty Lee from Rush. He was dressed like an old woman, and I was walking a dog because I was. He does. And the dog ran over to him and he went, oh, what a beautiful creature. And I went, thank you, ma'am. And then he looked up and I'm like, that's Getty Lee, uh, Lee from Rush. And I was about to say, ma'am. And then I went, man. <laughs> and then I realized I had to engage with him. And I fucking hate Rush. Like, I don't, 
They stop playing a guitar solo, learn a melody. You can't sing at all. And you're wearing little pretentious glasses, which fucking drive me. Anyway, I had to pretend to really like Rush, but I didn't know any of their songs. So I said, I really liked American Woman, which is by the Guess Who, not by Rush at all. And he played it off. He was just like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay, and then he just walked away and then yelled, oh, your dog is a fine creature. Anyway, so, and in the bride, and these houses are like giant and opulent. There was a gate. I pull and I park in and I go inside. And as I walk in, the guy who agreed to pay me is there and he gives me the check because I'm smart and I get the money right up front because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. And I get it and I put it in my pocket and then I think, no, and I went and put it in the car. That's important. <laughs> it's very important. I put it in the car and then I go in and I'm introduced to the, uh, and there's, there's a, uh, an Indian family, and the uh, grandmother's there in sort of the flowing robes, and she shakes my hand and asks if I would like some food, and I said, no, thank you, and she goes, are you sure, and then you get into that argument you have with any sort of immigrant family, which is there's the one person who's forcing you food. That's their culture. It's it? every culture. Well, no, food in particular. The, the, no, but it's Italians, Greeks, right. Scottish people. Irish people. No, I've I've tasted your cuisine, and (laughs) you guys are trying to just not even digest it yourselves. Have another pie, wash it down with some bread. Yeah, that actually being said, British food's delicious because I love meat pies. I like the idea of you can put anything on chips, piece of cake, a face. What do you want? Clown's nose. so we walk in and it's this dining room table and it's the girl and it was the girl that booed me and I knew this is what was going to happen. Like I walk in and she sees me, I see her, she begins to cry, runs out, her father goes to speak with her in that very sort of like very well-to-do family dynamic. He comes to me and goes, um, you're the wrong comedian. And I went, okay, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, you're still going to perform or give me back my money. And I went, so I will be performing. And so they gather by the table Birthday girl, tears drying on her face, attempting to do jokes. And at that time, I was, I was still a young comedian. And the people that own a comedy club know of this syndrome, the I know about the truth motherfucker comedian. <laughs> you, know, you know, the 23-year-old who shows up with slick back hair and a leather jacket and open, like, I was just saying, cunt to a human. And you're like, oh yeah, that's not original, even though you think you were the baddest motherfucker. In the- I was just talking to a woman about her vagina, if you know what I mean. No one knows what you mean. And I was just coming out of that phase, so I still had some very sweary material, which I had to close on to wrap up my half an hour set. And as I was uh, going into it, uh, the girl actually started to sort of get behind me, but the grandmother just lost all emotion as soon as I said, fuck. And just, like, like, and everyone just stopped, and I sort of ended with a thud. And I went, okay, thank you very much. This has been an experience. And I walked into the kitchen to get my coat to leave. And the father came up to me and went, my mother is very upset. You were not allowed to swear. And I said, no one told me I wasn't allowed to swear. I'm sorry. It has to be put in the contract or I'm going to swear. And he goes, well, I think that I should get half of my money back. Go get my check. And uh, no, he said, give me the check and I'll write you new. And I went, oh, the check's in the car. I'll be right back. (laughs) And I drove to the bank and cashed his check and then called my agent and said, what are we going to do? And then my agent just basically just yelled at him until I got to keep all of the money. And so let me just say uh, this about that. This has been a much better experience performing in someone's house than that was because no one's cried. One person left, but I don't think, I think he'll be crying later because of the people that are at his house. Um, may I just say, and this, I don't know if you'll listen to this or know how to download it, but it was almost a beautiful trope 
of British comedy that he was criticizing his mother-in-law. Because we don't have that in Canada. Like, we like the people that marry into our families. But in this island... No. Right there, but so for some reason, like, mother-in-law's here. Was yeah, it cause, yeah, <laughs> yeah, get her full name and postcode so people know exactly who we're referring to. But yeah, it's a weird trope that I'll never really understand is the, like, the mother-in-law gag because it's just like, first of all, why is your mother-in-law in your house? Like, just move to another town and she won't show up so often. So don't invite her over. That's a nice trick. I've just become a hack comedian to wrap up the show. <laughs> Which I think is the best way to end it. A uh, couple of quick announcements for more information about me. Go to my website, johnhastingscomedy.com. It's weird to be saying this for people listening at home to people that are staring at me. You guys don't need to go to my website. You guys have been emailed enough by me anyway. You know where to find me. People that are listening are already there. So. Yeah, exactly. All right. I'm wrapping up the show. We're going to go sit outside for a little bit. Thank you very much for listening. Paul Crew, what a great job. Do you have anything to say to wrap up the show? I love my mother-in-law. All right, good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this has been the John Hastings Anything Can Be a Podcast podcast. Learn more about John. Go to johnhastingscomedy.com. Goodbye. <laughs>